bum bum bottom 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 bum
watching our two versions of The Christmas Carol that we watch every year. So every year before Christmas, we watch Scrooged. Yeah. And then we watch A Muppet's Christmas Carol. Oh, so good. And um, in the past, I've always looked at like the ghosts of past, present, and future as a way to look at yourself. Mm. You know, we all put ourselves in the place of Scrooge mm. and think like, I need to change my heart by connecting to my past, present, and future. But this time around, I thought about everyone who is around Scrooge and by connecting with the traumas of his past and realizing that his present self is empowered to make changes that change his future self makes me go like, I need to be a little bit more empathetic to the Scrooges around me where I go like, well, that person is just being inconsiderate or that person is being selfish or bullheaded. Like you have to go like, you have to look at people's past with with humility because the past is strong and unchangeable. I love that. I, I, I don't think we necessarily discussed it from the points of view of those around Scrooge because I am that individual that puts themselves in Scrooge's shoes while watching The Christmas Carol, right? And my takeaway from this millionth watch of Muppets Christmas Carol, the best adaptation of Dickens' mm -hmm, novel. Absolutely. Uh, is that end song or the climactic song where Michael Caine is singing Thankful Heart. Mm. And there's that line in it where I'm going to butcher it. I can't remember it exactly. But, you know, around him, he's going to treat everyone he sees as if they were nieces and nephews to me, as if we are all family, because we are all family. So we watch that Christmas Eve. The next day, we go to family. Uh, you know, I get cut off on the road. <laughs> and, you know, my uh, reaction is to be like, oh, gosh, that person. And that was like, okay, all right, no, let's try this out. That person in that car, that person in that car over there, is a, a niece and nephew to me or a nibbling, nibbling to me. Yeah. And uh, I, I found that to be incredibly helpful. And I carried that song in my head all Christmas through our multiple family gatherings. And uh, I want to carry that song into 2022. I think the un unsung hero of the Christmas Carol story is Scrooge's brother. Mm. But because Scrooge's brother grew up with him and knows his past, and every Christmas continues to invite him to dinner, right. continues to give him thoughtful, heartfelt gifts, despite who Scrooge, Scrooge is. is in the present, mm -hmm. because he still has faith in his brother changing and becoming better. And the other thing I took away from this watch is that by looking at the past, you go like, well, that's not the Scrooge I know today. That means... If I was different then, I can be different tomorrow. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not trapped in the person in the moment of the, of the moment. You're not trapped in the moment. And then my final takeaway from Muppet's Christmas Carol is how Muppet acting, acting with Muppets is the highest art form. Mm. You know, I, we all love Michael Caine. Michael Caine is so good in so many movies, right? Watching him perform against the Muppets and seeing him connect with them as if they were sentient beings 
is truly inspiring. It's a level of imagination I think we should all strive for, that childish connection to your teddy bear or whatever, your action figure. So, you know, I, I took that watch of Muppets Christmas Carol. I went, yep, one of my all-time favorite movies. Let's put this in Brad's top 100. Yay. And I need to go back and watch all the Muppet movies again. Uh, I, I think that's a beautiful way to start a new year is with the Muppets. Well, I don't know if you remember, but last year around Christmas time, we got that Muppets box set. We did. Uh, from over across the seas, uh, from England. And uh, we, we, we hadn't cracked into it until we watched Muppets Christmas Carol on Christmas Eve. Now we got to check out Muppets Treasure Island and Muppets Take Manhattan and the Great Muppet Caper. Let's do them in chronological order. Oh, yeah. Well, we, we, we got to have a strategy, and I like that. And and I want to go through all of the, like, latest new generation Muppet films as well. Yeah, let's do it. New Year's resolution. Making resolutions. I love that. And I also love that we are closing out 2021 with this Valiant comic series all 18 issues of The Second Life of Dr. Mirage. If, for whatever reason, you have stumbled into this episode without listening to our previous episode, please do so. That episode covers the first nine issues, and this covers the back nine issues. And yeah, okay, um, it ends on a cliffhanger, Lisa. It does. There's no resolution to the second life of Dr. Mirage. And it hurts my heart. I, I, was, I was surprised by that and also, yes, disappointed. So let's go ahead, put Wen and Carmen in our waiting room. Their session is going to begin shortly. But as we always do, we got to discuss a little context before diving into their relationship as seen in the second life of Dr. Mirage. Yeah, okay, cliffhanger ending. Um, so in 1995, Acclaim Entertainment, the video game company, purchased Valiant Comics for a reported $65 million. Their goal was to make a boatload of video games based on Valiant properties, and they did accomplish several, including Turok Dinosaur Hunter, the only one that I ever played, and I loved it on my N64, Shadow Man, Armorines, and uh, Lisa, Iron Man, and Exo Manowar in Heavy Metal, which, yes, featured Marvel's Iron Man alongside Exo Manowar. Whoa. Yeah, uh, I need to play that game. I have a vague memory of it. Well, I don't know. Do I actually need to play that game? Because I did go onto YouTube and look at a, a playthrough of it, and it looks pretty atrocious. Oh, no. One of those really um, impossible side-scrollers where you have Iron Man and Exo Manowar going from left to right on the screen and, uh, uh, you know, firing and trying to fly, but... You know, the graphics are awful, <laughs> the gameplay looks wretched, and it looks so difficult. So I would probably end up beating my head against a brick wall. So let's not get that game. Okay. Uh, but after issue 18 uh, of The Second Life of Dr. Mirage, Acclaim planned on rebooting the comic book along with several other Valiant titles under their new Acclaim Comics banner, also known as the vh Dash 2 era, or the Valiant Heroes 2 era. Bloodshot, Magnus, Solar, Exo Manowar, Shadow Man, and a bunch of others got new books, 
but not Dr. Mirage. In 2004, Acclaim filed bankruptcy after losing their license with the World Wrestling Federation. Their games were losing money, and the speculator boom for comics was dead, and their comics were not selling. Eventually, a group of entrepreneurs formed Valiant Entertainment and purchased the Valiant Comics characters owned by the Acclaim estate. However, this did not include characters like Solar, Magnus, or Turok, because they were originally owned by Gold Key Comics, which belonged to Classic Media at the time, which was then purchased by DreamWorks Animation, which was then bought by Universal Pictures. So yeah, Universal, we're waiting on that Solar Man of the Atom movie. <laughs> Dr. Mirage did stay with Valiant Entertainment, and there have been a few Dr. Mirage storylines, but they bear only minimal resemblance to this series. Its focus is on Sean Fong, who seeks to reconnect with her spirit husband, Huen. Yup, no Carmen Ruiz. Oh. At least I think that's the case. I have not read these issues. So listeners, if you have been keeping up with Dr. Mirage in the new Valiant era, I need to hear from you. I'm definitely going to give these books a read because of how much I enjoyed the second life of Dr. Mirage, but I will be deeply, deeply, deeply disappointed if there's no crazy legs. I just don't understand the impulse to write out Carmen, because she's such an amazing character. They already have all of this beautiful history together. So much of the chemistry of the original comic is them coming from slightly different cultural backgrounds and, and meeting each other's parents and trying to understand each other better. I just don't know why you would throw that all away. Yeah, I'd really like to talk to the creators behind the preceding comics because that is an interesting choice. And I, I would say as a fan of this series, a disappointing choice, right? To me, it's just not even the same comic anymore. They're right. just starting from scratch. Right, right, right. Which, you know, fair enough, whatever. The other thing I think we need to discuss briefly before diving into session with these two is the Valiant Comics crossover event, The Chaos Effect. Yes, thank you. Uh, I don't don't say thank you yet, Lisa, because I don't think I quite understand oh, no. <laughs> all the details of the chaos effect. But as you may recall from our last episode, when Huen sought out Master Dark's help regarding his strange relationship with necromantic energy, he ran into Dark's sister, Sandria, and she told him that he was the one, mm -hmm. quote unquote, kissing him on the cheek. That's right. She made physical contact. What the what? I thought he was a ghost. He was intangible. But she's also a ghost. To well, me, that, that follows ghost laws. Well, right. But I think the chaos effect shows you why that occurred or okay. apparently shows you why that occurred. Uh, we were hoping to find out exactly what the one business meant in these issues that we're covering on this episode. But uh, sorry, that doesn't get resolved in the second life of Dr. Mirage. Instead, it's picked up in the chaos effect. And, you know, what is the chaos effect? So it's a crossover event that spanned the entire Valiant Comics universe. So like part one would be in, I don't, I don't even have the order, but it would be like in Shadow Man. And then it would pick up in Dr. Mirage. And then we'd go over to, Exo Manowar, and then it would build up into Rye and the Future Force and Magnus the Robot Fighter. So you had to buy every single issue to understand the whole storyline. And sometimes I'm in a generous mood and I'll go ahead and read all of that stuff. But I guess, you know, the year is counting down. I'm less <laughs> generous. I got to get stuff done. So I did not read The Chaos Effect. But this is my basic understanding through my internet research. What is it? Uh, well, 
It's a rift that tears through our earthly dimension and through it, a flood of necromantic energy erupted. Dr. Mirage and Solar Man of the Atom come to our rescue in that series, sealing the rift, but not before a whole bunch of chaos energy infects various parts of our world. And frankly, I'm not sure I would have a better understanding if I actually read the comic of what the chaos effect is, but I guess it's this energy that alters humans, similar to the way that the necromantic energy alters humans. It's just another kind of gamma bomb or radioactive spider bite. Terrigen it results, mist. Terrigen mists. It results in new good guys, new bad guys, that kind of thing. Most importantly for our purposes, it's the end of Master Dark. And during that confrontation, Hwen reclaims a solid form for a little bit using what he learns during the chaos effect, he then brings that into his solo series and it helps cure his condition, which we'll talk a little bit more about later. That we will. But before we do that, we gotta talk about our love expert. <laughs> After all, we're not professional therapists, we're just a married couple trying to do the best we can. So Lisa, who's helping us with Wen and Carmen this week? Our love expert. Is Marco Petrovic, Mska, Masters of Science, using his book, The Five Little Love Rituals, connecting and long title. The Five Little Love Rituals, connecting and keeping your love alive, no matter how busy you are, from Feel Good Rituals Publishing, second edition, 2015. <laughs> we got a lot of comments about last week's episode because you were so absolutely savage in your <laughs> destruction of our love expert. Yes. And uh, you, you brought a lot of joy to some listeners last week, Lisa. <laughs> Is that going to continue now? That it will. Those of you who tuned in last week have already heard me rant about how baseless Mr. Petrovic's claims are and have already heard me read his compulsory and deeply couched disclaimer at the back of this book that says, despite his being, quote, well-versed in the subject matter, end quote, this $4.99 pamphlet of unsighted, unsubstantiated claptrap, quote, <laughs> does not constitute professional <laughs> advice, end quote. And when I say this disclaimer was couched, I mean ca-ha-houched. Brad, ask me, how couched was it? How couched was it? I found a buffalo head nickel in there. <laughs> ask me again, how couched was it? How couched was it? It took me 127 hours to get my arm out again. <laughs> ask me, how couched was it? How couched was it? I went so deep, I met a fraggle. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yay, that's nice. It was nice. Personally, I find some of the language Mr. Petrovic uses to differentiate actual expertise from his more, quote, common sense approach, end quote, is pretty insidious. But we've committed to using him as our expert for the mirages, and there is still plenty to talk about, even if it's mostly how offensive this guy is. Oh man, I am excited. The last time Juan and Carmen were on our couch, we focused on instituting Mr. P's five little love rituals, which we'll review in a moment. But in this session, I'd like to get into why Mr. Petrovic thinks relationships fail. In chapter two, entitled The Biggest Relationship Mistake People Ever Make, Mr. Petrovic starts the chapter by saying that when people ask him, 
what is the biggest relationship mistake people ever make? He corrects them by saying that there are actually two mistakes because he is a prick. Is he my father? I wonder how that that conversation goes. He goes up to a stranger like, hey, nice to meet you. I'm working on a book. <laughs> what? Uh, and chapter two is entitled The Biggest Relationship Mistake People Ever Make. And that other pe- person goes, oh, very interesting. Nice to meet you too. What is the biggest relationship <laughs> mistake people ever make? He uh-huh. says, aha, there's actually two. And then he punches them in the stomach and runs away. (laughs) According to Petrovic, mistake number one is believing that the relationship is going to take care of itself. He says that people put a considerable amount of effort into finding a suitable partner, but once they have that committed partner that they've been looking for, they deprioritize the maintenance of the relationship. The effort that was put into relationship seeking then becomes reallocated into career, personal or creative pursuits, and child rearing with the presumption that the relationship will still be in good order when the focus returns to it. To Mr. Petrovic, this is a grave misconception. Here's a quote. It has been proven time and again that the decision to spend your life with another human being affects and determines your health, personal growth, professional development, much more than anything else and far more powerful than anything else, end quote. Man, would that statement have been persuasive if there was some kind of citation to like research or something? Like if you're not going to cite a source, at least give me an example from your life. One example, according to Mr. Petrovic, Quote, successful couples think differently. They know that loving feelings will not always come naturally, so they create them. End quote. Which successful couples? How many? How is he defining success? Couples who are still together or are self-reporting greater happiness? He refers to, quote, successful couples, end quote, 11 times in this book that has less than 100 pages of content, not once does he define what he means by that. But by, quote, creating loving feelings, end quote, he means taking an active part in the maintenance of the relationship by participating in the five little love rituals. Mistake number two is letting the negative perception of their partner prevail. Mr. Petrovic calls negative perception the silent killer of relationships. When couples first fall in love, they have a lot of optimism about the level of life satisfaction they will get from being partnered to this other person. If over time the couple has not been proactive in maintaining their relationship and they are feeling slightly estranged from each other, When those inevitable hardships occur and the level of the satisfaction dips, the partners may see each other as obstacles to greater life satisfaction rather than part of the solution. We actually have a really good example of this in our last session with Juan and Carmen in issue number three, Marital Blitz. Juan and Carmen have returned from Tibet and Juan is still adjusting to being an incorporeal being. They try to return to some of their routines from before Master Dark changed the course of their life forever, but they are having a hard time connecting in the same way and they're afraid to talk about feeling less close to each other. One of the primary components that is now missing is that they can't have physical intimacy in the same way 
And maybe because there is some puritanical socialized shame in expressing a need for sex. So Carmen decides to take an international client independent of Huen as a means of working around his condition rather than working with the new situation. It isn't until that brainstorm with Rico that Juan finds a new way to restore the sexual aspect of their relationship that she invites him on the trip to Saudi Arabia with her. According to Mr. Petrovic, the negative perception of your partner grows as you begin to look for reasons to justify that negative perception. Say you think your partner is not doing his share of the housework. You'll notice that he left a dirty dish in the sink but dismiss that he took out the trash. It's confirmation bias. Your brain will be storing away justifications for the negative perception and disregarding anything that runs contrary to that negative perception. In this session with the mirages, I think it would be advantageous to be monitoring their interactions for moments of estrangement where the negative perception might take root and seeing if they balance those moments by taking part in those five little love rituals which we'll review right now because we want them in the forefront of our minds. All right. So love ritual number one is doing the little things, asking yourself, what can I do to make my partner's day better today? Love ritual number two is connecting the dots, checking in with each other at regular intervals just to see what's up. Love ritual number three, touching for no reason. (laughs) And by no reason, he means without expectation of intercourse. Eye massages. Eye massages. (laughs) Get those balls. And by by balls, I mean eyeballs. Love ritual number four is planning in your fun. Mm -hmm. And love ritual number five is creating a mystery, which is mostly trying to maintain a sense of spontaneity in the relationship. And we should mention that over on our Patreon feed, we did do love ritual number four, planning your fun. And creating a mystery. By doing a ice cream blind taste test while reviewing Spider-Man No Way Home. We recorded that last night and it was a ton of fun. So those two love rituals, I'm giving them a thumbs up. <laughs> I do think there's some common sense in this Petrovic stuff that I like. But yeah, okay. I mean, it's nonsense, but th- but it's common nonsense. But what Mr. Petrovic implies is that because he as a layperson can come up with a couple of suggestions and lists that we don't need any more expertise than that. And that's that's just not true. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So now guess what? We've hit that time. It's words of affirmation. No, 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 no. So for first time listeners, the words of affirmation are our way of giving back to our new and upgrading Patreon subscribers. We curate and use these affirmations ourselves, and we're more than happy to pass them to you. Uh, These quotes come from The Second Life of Dr. Mirage, Mm -hmm. what? Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly's All-Star Superman, and Spider-Man No Way Home. And while these affirmations are dedicated to these specific patrons, feel free to take them yourself apply them, write them up on the mirror of your bathroom, look at them every morning, use them to get you through the day. Yes, we find so many moments for inspiration and affirmation all around us, and it's just a matter of focusing our minds and our breath, and let's begin. Girls Talk Comics. Endings are usually the beginnings of something new, little one. It is the nature of life, change. 
David, you're amazing. Just take it in for a minute. Elliot Dixon, you're stronger than you think you are. Trust us. Greg Lambert, everything changes, Greg Lambert. The trick to life is to grow with the changes. Yeah. That uh, was really lovely. I really like those affirmations. Specifically, I like the one from Spider-Man No Way Home, the one dedicated to David. You're amazing. Just take it in for a minute. Uh, I had an opportunity to interview Warren Ellis, not the comic book Warren Ellis, but the musician, the Bad Seed, uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seed's mm-hmm. film composer. And it was the last interview I conducted of the year with one of my idols, right? Like one of my all-time favorite concerts that I've ever attended was with Lisa. We saw the Dig Lazarus Dig tour at the 930 Club with Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. It was amazing. And I got to talk to Warren Ellis about that. But he was there to promote uh, his composition for the new documentary, The Velvet Queen, the French documentary. And I was having a terrible time pronouncing the uh, French words, mm-hmm. right? And, I, I, you know, he was very kind about it. He didn't bat an eye. Uh, and, and I did that self-deprecating thing where I was like, oh, you know, my stupid American tongue, I'm such a, a dummy or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he stopped me. And he's like, hey, 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 man, you know, you got to watch the self-talk. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And, and, then, and then, you know, he's like, you, you know, America has contributed so much to the world. You need to own the greatness of America along with the badness of America. And so we chatted about self-talk for like 15 minutes while discussing the Velvet Queen. And it was really wonderful. And then we go into the theater to watch Spider-Man No Way Home. And that moment occurs between uh, those two characters. I almost just spoiled (laughs) Spider-Man No Way Home. This is not the place for that, but hopefully you've all seen it. But that moment where one character tells the other character that they're amazing, um, coming off of the Warren Ellis conversation, like, it, it was speaking right to me. So I, like I think the, that's something to, that's important, the self-talk. I, I like the idea of when you see someone expressing shame, like going in and nipping that in the bud. Yeah. It's like, you know, if you see someone with a nosebleed, yeah. you don't just pretend it's not happening. You yeah. grab them a tissue. Like that's what we should do when we see someone experiencing shame because it it is something that we're all looking for someone to release us from. And we've discussed the dangers of self-deprecating humor on this podcast in the past. And you would think that I would remember that, but it's a practice. (laughs) You know, you have to continually remind yourself. Uh, But uh, there you go. Thank you to our patrons for making this show operate. Of course, we don't expect all of you to join our Patreon community. Not everyone can afford to do so. And if you can't, please don't. And if you still want to support Comic Book Couples Counseling, there are other ways you can do that. You can go ahead and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And now you can leave us a five-star review on Spotify. Uh, We have a great rating on Apple's podcast and we have a good, strong rating on Spotify. We just don't have a ton of reviews on Spotify. So if you'd like to support us, jump on over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, leave us a nice review. Five stars only. Thank you. Yes, thank you. So our comic for the week. Uh, We are concluding our Huen and Carmen conversation with issues 
10 through 18 of the second life of Dr. Mirage, published by Valiant Comics between September of 1994 and May of 1995. They're written by Bob Layton and Jim Parham, penciled by Bernard Chang, Jordi Ensign, and Yancey Labatt, inked by Ken Branch, colored by a whole ton of people. Buckle I'm, up. I'm not going to pronounce all their names correctly. That's okay. I'm not going to hate myself because of it. No shame. Uh, no shame. Colored by Todd Britton, Andrew Kovalt, Eric Hope, Shree Boyd, Chrysula Artemis Gomez, John Caballero, Nob Rowe, and Mark Cesar. And lettered by Rob Johnson, Adam Needswiki, uh, Bethany Needs, and Santiago Vasquez. Yeah, all right, I got through it. <laughs> All right, so there's no singular plot floating around out there for these eight issues. So all I'll say is this. The shape-shifting creature known as the Other Man threatens to claim Carmen Ruiz as his own. The chaos effect leaves lasting supernatural effects on the Earth and the deadly Deathsmith hungers for Carmen's death energy almost as much as he hungers for weird <laughs> pop cultural references. And if that's not bad enough, both Wen's mother and Carmen's mom and dad threaten to interfere with their paranormal investigation business. And oh yeah, Lorenzo, the ex-husband lingers in the shadows. Wow, did you write that all by yourself? I did. That was so good. How come you're not in charge of Goodreads? Uh, you know, I'll send them my uh, resume. Yeah, you should. Where we left Carmen last issue was on a cliffhanger. Right? She was in the clutches of someone she thought was when, but turned out to be the shapeshifter other man. So she was like in mid embrace. She was so excited to be touching a physical form of her husband. She couldn't believe it. Too good to be true. And yes, it is too good to be true because it's another person. It's a totally different person. And yikes, scary Huen came into the room, confronted the other man. Other man got all angry with red eyes. It's like, dun, dun, dun. And now we pick up immediately on that dun, dun, dun with the showdown between Wen and other man. And I did just have to pause right now because <laughs> I forgot that we learned in the last issue. Lisa reminded me I had to pick up issue nine, flip through it and check this out. Other man is... Um, ectoplasm? No, so, he's not ectoplasm. Well, no, well, no the, the creature, the yes. creature that we're looking at, the thing that is has taken the form of when is ectoplasm that has secreted from other man who's just this dude in an apartment many miles away. So this is an ectoplasmic projection of other man. And I guess the way when defeats other man is he like psychs him out. You know, he says like, you're losing your connection with yourself and you will not be able to combat my purer form of necromantic energy. Yeah, because this is the first time we've seen when face off with someone whose power is not related to necromantic energy. He, his, other man's powers are science-based, and he feeds that power with pills that he gets from the Harbinger Corporation. Correct, yeah. And so I think that there is a gap of understanding between 
each other's powers and Huen plays into that insecurity claiming that his powers can do something that he doesn't know if they can do or not. Right, right. I, I think this issue for the most part is uh, a lot of fun. It's an action issue. Uh, there is a two page splash that Bernard Chang illustrates early on in the issue. I think it's like pages four and five. That is easily my favorite bit of art from the entire 18 issues. It's so dynamic. It's and, and it like when you turn that page, I mean, it does hit you. The, it pops. Yeah, the sequential link, the, the build to that two page splash is very well done. Uh, uh, but like, I, I also feel like because it's so much action, when we get to that end where he explains why he's going to win through his confidence in his necromantic energy versus other man's lack of confidence in his uh, ectoplasmic energy. It's just a bunch of gobbledygook. Like, I don't know if I was totally satisfied with the resolution of their battle. I don't know. It may, it came together for me that uh, other man wa got involved in the first place because he wanted revenge on the Harbinger Corporation, which is why he killed Martin in the last issue. And then he sees Carmen and he's like, Carmen is so hot. I want to get my <laughs> ectoplasm all up in her. <laughs> yeah, I, I like all of that. And I do like how this then ties into Harbinger and the Valiant universe as a whole. And I think that the other man could be a really interesting character if we ever got to see him again. It's really disappointing that he disappears and doesn't come back. I wonder if he comes back in the other series. I don't know. Uh, and there is some tremendous satisfaction in this issue because the other cliffhanger element of issue nine is that Mama Fong finally arrives That's on right. campus. And their relationship does not go where I feared it was going to go. Like, I thought it was going to be a very antagonistic relationship. But Mama Fong is very understanding of her ghost son. From their conversation, we hear why Huen was avoiding interacting with his mother over the phone. Because his father always told him that his pursuing the necromantic arts or whatever <laughs> would would result to him becoming nothing. Right, it wouldn't result to anything. And he feels like his being an incorporeal being is somehow a manifestation <laughs> of his father's disappointment because in him. Because he's literally nothing. And perhaps when his father was still alive, his mother would it would feel like to when his mother was siding with his father when mm -hmm. it came to his familial obligations mm -hmm. to have a successful career. But I think this is a good example of how feelings of estrangement can result in a negative perception. Mm -hmm. Like his father, his tense relationship with his father created an estrangement with his mother that resulted in a negative perception that his mother is not proud of the path he took in his life. Yeah. So I, and Mama Fong takes this opportunity to say like, look how much you've been able to do in this career that we never imagined for you. And I'm sure that if your dad were here and he saw all of the results 
the fruits of your labor, he would be very proud. Yeah, she recognizes his success and, you know, and, and highlights that to him, to his face. And I think one of the most interesting elements to this relationship that he has with his mom and his deceased father is he spent so much time away from them. Mm -hmm. But even though he's away from them, he never stopped writing that narrative of what their relationship was based on old data. Yeah, yeah. And so he has that confirmation bias of looking for things that underscore, yes. that fulfill the thesis statement of my parents are not proud of me, my parents don't understand me. And I love that even though his father is gone, Mei Fong wants to continue to mend the yes. relationship between Huan and his dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's something I've certainly seen in my own family, between family members that are still around and those that have disappeared and left us. So I, I found that to be extremely relatable. And again, like I was just surprised by the dimension of that relationship. I, it, I just wasn't expecting that here in The Second Life of Dr. Mirage. And I didn't expect that super rad sidekick that M uh, Mama Fong could do, that <laughs> Yeah. kind that always looks so impressive. She's got skills. She's got skills. She and um, Enrico, though, I don't know if I like their weird sexual tension. They What's going on there? They do have some flirtatious rapport. Yeah, yeah. Is there a history there? We uh, don't know. I, and we never will. Like, in my head canon, something went down between those two. And Enrico still has feelings yeah, for May. Yeah, I think so. I think so. So issue 11 of The Second Life of Dr. Mirage is the Chaos Effect tie-in issue. It's the beta issue. Uh, what, whatever that means. Does, it, does that mean it's part one, part two? I don't know. It's the beta issue. And it is entitled The One. We pick up with Carmen and Huen in the aftermath of the other man issue, and their Miami estate is yeah. destroyed. It's in ruins. And Huen and Carmen have this little connecting the dots moment where they're kind of feeling out where they each are emotionally. And Huen is actually feeling a little bit guilty that his new state invites this kind of chaos and right. danger and destruction it's into the their home. It's the conversation that the Vision has in uh, Captain America Civil War, right? Like, we invite threat. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the better we become, the greater the threats will become. But Carmen reassures him and says, I am so so proud of how you handled yourself in this situation. And look, we're going to have to get this home renovated anyway. So why don't we go back to our New York State <laughs> estate right. in Nyack and just take this opportunity to relax and enjoy each other. And number four, love ritual, plan in the fun. Right, right. It's worth noting again that when and Carmen are crazy rich. They're Bruce Wayne rich. They have houses all across the globe. And I get the impression that it doesn't just come from their agency, but it also comes from both sides of their yeah. family. They come from very rich 
empowered family. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely true. I, I do like that in the aftermath of the other man battle, Wen gets this sense of dread. And it is something that repeats throughout the rest of this series. Uh, and it recalls the famous line from all the Star Wars films. I've got a bad feeling of this. He he senses something terrible on the horizon. And it is chaos, the chaos effect. When the chaos effect happens, the skies go this these crazy psychedelic colors and the heavens rend their self. And this immense amount of necromantic energy starts flooding in. It reminds me of like the end of Ghostbusters with the sky opening up above the high rise tower, basically. Absolutely. But this is happening. We get shots from... All over the Valiant universe, right. I presume. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we see, they see it in New York City. They see it in Newark. I guess that's not very far apart. <laughs> they see it in Miami, Miami, Florida. Rico and May are actually hanging out at the Bell Harbor Mall yep. at this time, just having a nice... Um, Little afternoon shopping trip. So fun. But when that necromantic energy hits Huen, he becomes super powered and he actually becomes solid. Yeah, like like it's like a boost to his abilities. He's just been kicked up a notch or two. And it it is so powerful. It blew out an entire wing of their Miami home. <laughs> yeah. And through the rubble, Carmen crawls towards him and intuitively reaches out to him and realizes that he is now solid. Yes. They can embrace. And this flood of emotion and relief, and I presume estrogen and happens. And terror, fear. And they start kissing. And then for a full hour. Yeah. The caption reads, one passionate hour later. Oh, they, yeah. They have a good roll in the carpet. Yeah, in the rubble of their apartment. The other man has destroyed it. The chaos effect explosion has turned it into practically dust. But the bed is intact, guys. <laughs> Not the bed. They do it They do it on the carpet. Well, the carpet is <laughs> intact, but, guys. But we finally get to see when out of that snowsuit, <laughs> yeah. and he looks pretty good, he looks pretty I gotta good. He looks pretty say. Good. You know, I, but that is planning in the fun, yeah, isn't it? That, <laughs> that is planning in the fun. You gotta find it where you can take it. This is also a moment where I started to realize that the, that the romance, the idea of romance in this comic seems directly lifted from the Jack Kirby Marvel young romance era. I feel like Bob Layton and probably Bernard Chang have read a lot of those comics, or when they think about what is romantic, they think about those comic books because the, the way that the tears are drawn on their faces feels like Jack Kirby tears. I could also be saying this because we recently purchased the King Size Kirby collection during the Barnes & Noble 50% off hardcover sale. Plug, oh, yeah, plug. we did. And uh, I've been reading all the young romance sections, which we should cover on this podcast at some time. I, I think, think so. Like they definitely, Dr. Mirage definitely leans into the melodrama, yeah. which I appreciate. Though I do think that, um, you know, uh, having an hour to yourselves during this 
really catastrophic moment does show a lack of priorities, though they do have a reassessment of principles where they go like, okay, we've had our moment. Now it's time to go get Mama Fong. Let's find Rico. They're out in this somewhere. And then um, and then finally we'll do our part to save the world. But as we discussed in last week's episode, like sex for them is so important because there is a level of scarcity there, mm, right? Yes. Like they've been robbed of physical intimacy because of Wen's condition. So them being, you know, like the horniest couple in comics, they're not, that's still Green Arrow and Black Canary. <laughs> but like the sex being so at the forefront of these comics doesn't feel disingenuous. Yeah. It doesn't feel like 90s comics just trying to attract teenage boys. Actually, it doesn't feel like that at all. I, I, I applaud, you know, it's not perfect. It is maybe a little immature, but I applaud the attempt at romance and physical intimacy in the second life of Dr. Mirage. In the context of like a functional committed relationship. And clearly it's their love language and they haven't been able to speak to each other in this way. Yeah, do you think that it was their love language before Master Dark's attack on when? I think yes. You, you think so? So I think uh, physical touch and probably quality time. You don't think that that love language could take precedence after the fact because they were robbed of it a little bit? Like if suddenly I was not able to give you gifts, would gifts become a larger portion of your love language pie? Uh, yeah, I see where you're coming from. I think that, yeah, that sense of scarcity does increase the the hunger level for yeah, it. That's it my feeling the appetite, anyway. Yeah. So they do go out and they do find Mama Fong and Rico, and then they go right into just taking people out of physical harm. Mm -hmm. So they're, you know, getting people out from under cars. They're kind of directing traffic. At, at one point, there is a boat that is caught in this swell in the harbor, and they're trying to get the boat out of the water to save the people. And then Sandria comes and goes like, hey, remember that time when, <laughs> when I said you were the one well, now it is your time because because of your necromantic energy, you have to be the one to close this cosmic rift that's letting all of this necromantic energy flow in. Yeah, and uh, apparently they did that in the next issue of whatever Chaos Effect issue. But I think it's important to point out that Huen is not accustomed to being the one. And Carmen certainly isn't accustomed to Huen being the one to do something. They're, they're used to working as a unit and constantly checking in with each other. And we know now that Huen is not immortal. He can, he can be hurt. Like the more he expends right. energy, the more he begins to fade and he needs that necromantic energy replenished. So Carmen is watching when take on these bigger and bigger challenges, but taking on greater personal risk. And I, we see throughout the rest of this series, Carmen going like, you have to remember that if I, if you, if I lose you again forever, I'm going to be devastated. 
And I feel like as your partner, I should be able to have veto power over you doing mm, something mm, so dangerous that I could lose mm, you. Mm. Yeah, I think that this is a great mirroring of their dynamic from the start of this series. Absolutely. When he first became this incorporeal, incor why can I never say that word? Incorporeal. This it's hard to say. ghost figure. Mm -hmm. When he first became this ghost figure, he was so inept, he could not help Carmen in that battle with the wolf creature in any way. You know, when Dr. Eclipse showed up, Carmen was pretty much on her own to save the day. And I loved that. But now... He is becoming like a guardian figure. You know, he's like a Green Lantern or he's like Swamp Thing and he has entered the green. He is a protector of the universe. And that's just something that how can anyone prepare themselves for? And when you do graduate to that kind of uh, individual, that kind of status, <laughs> that's got to make your partner feel uh, weird. Before Huen goes to plug the portal, he and Carmen do have a number two connecting the dots moment where Carmen says that she is afraid of losing him again, but he assures her that there is more at stake than just their relationship. And he says, maybe this is the reason I was given a second life. It's like my mother said, I have the power to change things. I have to try. And, but... Carmen doesn't exactly accept that. She just begs him, like, don't die. Please just come back to me. And I don't care if you're, even if you come back just in your ghostly state again, I don't care. I just need you. And as he's leaving, he says that he loves her forever, and but that everything changes. Mm. And the trick to life is to grow with those changes. So, like, he's trying to tell her to see things from his perspective that now he is working towards his end game. He thinks, my life is going to end because I've given it for this greater purpose. But she's still saying, like, my priority is us being together. Yeah. And yeah. I and there is this push and pull between them for the rest of of this series. That's never resolved. So apparently, you know, he is cured sort of because of the events of the chaos effect. He uh, he gains the ability to become solid periodically. Well, like because he has this the experience of becoming corporeal, he can f kind of get in touch with the way that that felt. Yeah. And so it's kind of like with uh panic attacks. Like mm. when you have your first panic attack, you're like, "Oh my goodness, what is happening? I, I am dying. I think that this is the end. But then once your body figures out how to create a panic attack, it starts just doing it all of the time to inconvenience you. Like, hey, we don't want you, your body, your physical manifestation doesn't want you to do this thing. So I'm going to, to create this physical sensation that makes you stop. But because you've now had, and I'm going to speak for you, Lisa, because you've now had a bunch of panic attacks, you know that this panic attack, panic attack is not your last panic attack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that you will continue. So the scare <laughs> factor is diminished a little bit. But it like the metaphor, the way yeah, this, I, the, the simile for um, Dr. When, Mirage is like, once your body knows how to do something, it'll do it again. Right. 
Right, right, right. And I love the cover of the next issue, issue number 12. On the left, uh, it says, he's cured. Now the real problems start. (laughs) And the image is when in a suit, putting a suit on, tying his tie, Carmen behind him looking very, uh, you know, sexy. And his ski suit is tossed on the bed and the boots are in the corner. And I just like as a visual metaphor for like, this is a new era of Dr. Mirage. It's really fantastic. I feel like the Dr. Mirage cover game is always really strong. It always is something fun. I think that it says a lot about their character as a couple. Like, I just think they're just cute. But this one is particularly cute. Yeah, this might be my fave, although I like the next one coming up as well. Uh, So to get to this idea of when trying to realize, like, okay, if I can just remember what it feels like to be solid, I think I can become solid, but I need to do some experiments in the lab. And he's talking to sleepy Carmen because he still doesn't sleep. And so she's drifting off to dreamland. And he's like, I think I'm going to go down there and, and muck about. And she's not so sure that's a good idea. She's like, I, let's like, let's hold off on that. But she falls asleep and he just straights up starts the experimentation. He does not heed her words in any way. And I think this goes back to that idea that she knows that if he expends too much power, he's going to disappear and finally die. And she doesn't want that to happen. So she feels like she should have some veto power over his dangerous choices, which he just utterly disregards. And then... When he does his experiment, <laughs> yeah. they she does think that she's lost him because the entire laboratory and all the equipment is just in shambles in a pile on the floor. And, he and he's re- nowhere to be found. He recorded himself conducting the experiment to the point where he uh, seemingly blips out, right? Fades from existence in a state of screaming. Like he is like, ah! And, you know, we the, the comic then becomes like half the story is uh, Carmen and Enrico searching the house looking for him, any signs of life. And then the other half is when he's in some sort of like dimensional uh, black hole, like there's total darkness, but there's like this faint little light and he like wanders up to the faint little light and there's like a barrier. So he's <laughs> in darkness, but there's a barrier there that he can't surpass. And can I spoil yeah, go for this? It. Right. Like when this page turn happens, like it's a little unfortunate the way it's done, because I feel like the reveal should be on a page turn mm-hmm. and it's not. And that's a little frustrating. So, But what we see is that he's not in another dimension. He's underneath a styrofoam cup. Yeah. (laughs) And that little light was a tiny pinprick in the styrofoam cup. And when Enrico and Carmen lift the cup up, he's he's a little Ant-Man. He's honey, I shrunk the sexy Asian man. (laughs) And that is like this massive splash page. And man, is it's it's such a good page. And you know, this is the issue where Bernard Chang does the layouts, but the finishes are done by uh, Jordy Ensign. Okay. And I like I think it's a pretty good collaboration in this issue. But uh engineer Carmen is able to work out in her mind what exactly the corporeal 
shrinkage problem was. <laughs> Corporeal shrinkage. And so she's able to help him find the correct solution. And at the end of this issue, he can now become a properly sized corporeal being for about four to six hours at a time. Right, right. And, you know, this issue ends with, you know, like confirmation that they are best when they are working together. Uh, we can't pass this issue, Lisa, without <laughs> discussing one other element. Uh, we, we learn, like, as Enrico and Carmen are trying to find the tape where uh, the experiment is documented, uh, Enrico makes this comment, like, I hope this tape isn't like the one I found in New York last time. And um, the implication being that uh, they, they make their own sex tapes. Yeah, which I think is a great... Um Scheduling in the fun activity, is having it? this precious memento. You know, the last and it also is a great number five building the mystery <laughs> because you never know when your butler is going to find your sex tape. That's exciting. Because <laughs> okay. it's not building the mystery between the two of you. Because the last thing I want to see is a sex tape in which uh, I yeah. star. I would like that just to remain a mystery. Yeah, I'm no, not curious about no, no. how that looks at all. I, Stop imagining it, all listeners. All laptops are closed in our apartment when that's going on. Yes. All our phones are facing <laughs> wall space in other rooms. It will not be found. It will not be documented. No, no thank you. I do have an abrupt change of subject for you, Brad. Oh, thank God. How do you feel like as a reader... Now mm. that mm. Huen can just become corporeal whenever he wants. I don't like it. Yeah, like to <laughs> me, like they've done so much work as a couple overcoming his disability, like mm. overcoming this issue of him being a ghost person. And I think it's done a lot for them character wise. And I think it's less interesting to take that obstacle away yeah. rather than working with the obstacle. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I don't think uh, I necessarily would never want to see this evolution happen. If this was a 60 or let's say, because we're reading Sandman, like a 75 issue series, if it were to happen at the halfway point or the two thirds point, mm -hmm. I think would be okay and satisfying. But happening in issue, what, 13? Right. Like, yeah, I like, you know, I, I think you are depriving yourself of a really unique dynamic within superhero comics. It kind of reminds me of Ben Grimm, where mm. they're, yeah, it, totally. they're always dangling this carrot of him becoming cured yeah. and they and they create opportunities for him to go back to his more human form. It's just not interesting. But it's just more fun when he is the thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I would say that after the next issue we're about to read, after issue 13, um, the series is never as good right. as the previous issues. That being said, I think it's so silly and <laughs> so fun in its silliness that I still found the last handful of issues enjoyable. There are still obstacles involved with his powers because when he is in his human form, he doesn't have access to his other powers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. he does have the, the time limitation. So there's only so long he can hold his concentration and stay physical. It sort of reminds me of another character, Our Man, who like pops a pill and he's strong for one hour. Okay. And I, I think you can have fun with that um, doomsday clock. Uh -huh. You know, like you've got X amount of time to get this mission done. 
And if you don't get it done, you're out of luck. <laughs> it kind of, this is gross, but I'm just going to say it. It kind of reminds me of like using a tampon. Like you put a tampon in and you're like, yay, I get to go about and, and operate in the world. But in six to eight hours, <laughs> something has to change because I could just die of toxic shock. <laughs> yeah. Is that going to be in the final edit of the podcast? Oh, I hope not. It absolutely <laughs> will. Uh, moving on to issue 13, you know, Valiant Comics was all also known for bringing in celebrity guest stars, the most famous being in that issue of Shadow Man where Aerosmith pops in what? for an adventure. Lisa, you you gotta read that issue of Shadow Man. Okay. Uh, and we get a celebrity guest star in Dr. Mirage number 13. It's soap star Walt Willie. I had no idea that this was an actual real person. Uh, neither did I until I saw Bob Layton tweeting his photo of him and Bernard Chang with Walt Willie at the time of this issue's release. I'm not a soap guy. I never uh -huh. watched soaps as a kid or, or, or today. Well, Walt Willie is the, like, um, comic book name equivalent to Dr. Octavius. <laughs> like, the, the uh, uh, alliteration is a little over the top. Uh, you know, I, I'm into it. The way he is illustrated in this issue, because he's wearing this white tux the whole time, he reminds me of Joe Piscopo as he guest starred in Star Trek uh, The Next Generation. I, I didn't think of that, but now I totally like, see it. Especially knowing that he... Um, what is it called when you when you do do a job at just at night? Uh, I don't know a night job, a night gig. But there, there's like a he one, moonlights. Oh, he yeah, moonlights he, right. as a stand-up comedian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and that image there where he's at the comedy club against the brick wall. That is a Joe Piscopo face. I'm sorry, Walt Willie. You've got Joe Piscopo face. <laughs> okay, and let me see if I can get this plot straight. So when Carmen, Mama Fong, and Enrico, they're in New York City, they're watching TV, Walt Willie comes on the soap, and a conversation starts where we learn that when used to room with Willie in college. And there is something there, something not said. There might have been some kind of relationship between Walt and Carmen. And it's whatever happened between them is secret. Yeah, they and don't want to talk about it. And they refuse to tell when what exactly went on between them. But Enrico is, you know, very excited by celebrity culture and he wants to go hang out with Walt Willie at the studio. So they go to a taping of Walt Willie's soap uh, star activity. Uh, and meanwhile, we're getting flashes uh, of the this other story where there is this evil cult that wants to... Uh, their their master, their leader, wants to ascend to immortality. And to do that, they have to ritually sacrifice somebody that they previously marked with a special tattoo. And that person was Walt Willie for some reason. And now they have to, because the moon is right and the stars are aligned and blah, blah, blah. They have to hunt down Walt Willie and ritual sacrifice him. That was pretty good. The only detail that you got wrong is that they didn't meet at the studio. They met at the comedy club. Oh, right. Joe Piscopo face. Exactly. And of course, they're able to foil the Celtic cult's plan just in the nick of time. Turns out that the mean director, Mr. <laughs> Howell, was in on it. And that is that issue. The thing I want to talk about is 
this weird game yeah. that Walt, Willie, and Carmen are playing on when. I don't like it. I don't like it. So the issue ends with Rico asking directly, like, what is this thing that is driving Huen so crazy? And Huen's like, they will not tell me if they've slept together or not. All I want to <laughs> know is if my roommate banged my wife. And Carmen's reasoning for why she keeps this going on for as long as she has is that she likes Huen a little jealous. Yeah, I, yeah. I just, I, I feel like if this was in our relationship, a much longer conversation would have to occur. Like I could not, I could not survive in a relationship with this particular mystery. I do think that this is built like n number five, building the mystery, kind of <laughs> mo less in the Marco Petrovic sense, uh -huh. but more in the. Um, Esther Perel sense and mm. that when you are in a relationship, you do get to continue to be two separate people that yeah. you it's it's uh, a relationship, not a deposition. You don't owe your partner everything that's uh -huh. going on in your heart and your mind. Uh -huh. But at the same time, I think like seeing when get so riled yes. up to the point where he can't enjoy the company of an old friend, I think is just really selfish on, so on Carmen's part. For me, like, you know, you don't need to know every sexual conquest your partner has done. You just, like, you assume that there were people before you, whatever, and you make peace with that. The issue I have with this is the way that that relationship between when and not when between Carmen and Walt is weaponized against when and she uses that as a teasing thing and I mean I guess when's okay with that because they continue to be together but I would not be okay with that yeah I think that um I think that just we just have to accept that their dynamic is different than ours and they do enjoy this toying with emotions though yeah. it's not how we choose to have fun that's right. we don't have we don't enjoy that kind of mystery we also learn in this issue that when has a new ability to travel inside phone lines oh yeah he pops into enrico's phone and then pops out or no he pops into mama fong's phone and then pops out of enrico's phone to save the day to save walt willie from the celtic cultist he does consult with carmen in a way where right. he goes like do you think in your like engineer brain that this could work and she was like possibly but we don't exactly know and he's like okay well i'm definitely doing it anyway and it does work out so so good. with issue 13's conclusion we say goodbye to bob layton and bernard chang and writer James Parham takes over. He did co-write an issue with Bob Layton. I believe it was issue eight. Mm, yeah. Uh, and he becomes the main uh, scriber for this. And then Jordy Ensign becomes the penciler for the next couple of issues before uh, Yancey takes over. These next two issues are pretty much just like a haunting story. Yeah, they're my least favorite. Um, But... Quen gets reached out to from an old professor, Professor Mabry, who he still has really fond feelings for. And he feels very flattered that this old professor would call him in to help him with this ghost problem. But Professor Mabry is a little old fashioned. <laughs> yeah. And 
when he meets Carmen, he at first goes like, oh, is this your secretary? <laughs> and he goes like, no, this is actually my business partner and my wife. And, um, and uh, Professor Mabry is like, oh, Carmen, you must be so excited to work with someone <laughs> as smart and as cool as... Dr. Huen Mirage, and, you know, he's just being really insensitive. Condescending is all get out. And Huen takes Carmen aside and thanks her for kind of putting up with his, like, old man, old-fashioned professor. This next bit, though. And <laughs> Carmen goes, like, it's cool. I'm going to just absorb all of this passive aggression and sexism because later you're going to dinner with my parents <laughs> and my parents are going to end up saying some pretty terrible and insensitive things about you. Yeah, and so there is this kind of reciprocity for putting up with difficult old people. Right, but look at how Carmen deals with the professor versus how Wen ultimately deals with Carmen's parents. Wen can't take it. I think that what... When, like what Huen is absorbing is a lot more personal. Sure. Where I Dr. Guess. Mabry does not have a relationship with Carmen. That's true. That's true. But, I guess. Um, they've been together, a married couple, for seven years, and Carmen's parents, Louise and Christina Ruiz, are still talking preferentially about her ex-husband, Lorenzo. Lorenzo. And ooh, Lorenzo, he's so smart. Ooh, Lorenzo, have you heard what he's up to? He's really successful. Yeah, yeah. Okay, maybe, maybe. Uh, but I did think that was interesting. The next issue, issue 15, the continuation of that haunted house story. And basically, like, what we learn is that the chaos effect took a malevolent force that was already haunting this building and then boosted it, gave them superpowers. So here is like a new villain that they could possibly deal with in the future. And I think like the my biggest beef with this issue, the way that they sell issue, what is this? This is 15. The way that they sell issue 15 is we see Master Dark is on the cover again. Carmen is giving him a roundhouse kick Finally, the big bad has returned. Chaos Effect didn't destroy him, but that's a misdirection because that's when, or no, is that when? Yeah, that's that's when as Master Dark trying to confuse the villain, the ghost that uh, was turned in, was murdered by Master Dark in like 1920, whatever. So when is still figuring out the um, borders of his powers. He's testing himself further and further. Also in this issue, he figured out that he could use his necromantic energy to kind of bring someone back to life. Dr. Mabry has a student who right. named Chris who gets stabbed. And in the ambulance, um, when he uses his powers to revive him, even though he's already expended so much power shape-shifting yeah. and getting rid of these ghosts. He peels a, a piece of himself off and gives it to Chris. And it results in an argument with Carmen because Carmen is like, how dare you continue using your powers when you are already so depleted? Because like, if you leave me again, 
it is going to ruin me. I will not be able to survive. And he again reiterates like, this is my second life. I'm going to do everything I can with it, even if that means me ultimately having to leave you. So we see like- A priority difference there. Yeah, where um, now Carmen has this negative perception that Huen does not care if she is left sad and alone, and he will continue to use his powers recklessly in order to fulfill this second life thing. Yeah, and so this comic in the back half is building that conflict up throughout its issues, and it does not really resolve it in by its conclusion. I feel like the implication is that Carmen is supposed to just accept that she is ultimately going to lose him. Yeah, and I don't like that. I don't I don't like that either. They are a partnership. They are one entity and I think like if Brad told me one day like I want to fulfill my childhood dream and I am going to get a motorcycle. I would say no, no. <laughs> or cave diving. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no way, no way. I mean, the metaphor there is like slightly different. Yeah, because cause those are like leisure sports. But at the same time, I do think that your partner should have veto power, especially when the repercussion is an ending of that relationship, a death in that relationship. Mm-hmm. And speaking of death, Enter the Death Smith. <laughs> yes, he is the big bad for these last two issues. And he is so 90s. Yeah, his power is he's able to like mold flesh into other uh, animals, I guess. Uh, okay, yeah. I mean, that's one of them. Uh, you know, like he puts his eye into a rat and the rat goes off and sees things and then the rat comes back and he takes the eye out of the rat, puts it into his own head. And he's like, oh, look at all the adventures you've been on. <laughs> um, but, but like and, and his design is it's bizarre. I don't quite get like what he, he actually is. He's like, a humanoid. Yeah, but he's also like levitating. He like floats with a ghost, but he's like a ghost, but he seems to be made of meat. And he has like this really like bumpy Klingon forehead, mm-hmm. like the Klingon of the Star Trek Discovery era, the right. first season in particular. Uh, yeah, and he's got like a spine that goes... Like this, like, is it a metal spine? Is that an exoskeleton? None of that is particularly intriguing to me. What is intriguing (laughs) to me is that Carmen has been having some morning stomach aches. Right. And she seems to be pregnant, though this we never, never we never find out. She's gotta be pregnant though, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We do finally get the dinner between Carmen's parents and Carmen and Juan. And they are being really insufferable. And they do talk about Lorenzo and how he's saving the rainforest. And he has his own theory (laughs) about the chaos effect. (laughs) Of course he does. And Carmen is trying to distract Huen and keep his spirits up with a little number three, non-sexual touching, just a little (laughs) footsie under the table. But when they bring up that somehow Lorenzo is a (laughs) like an expert in necromantic energy, Huen cannot take it. And he is very polite. He stands up, he stands up and excuses himself and goes to the men's room. But then while he's gone, 
Carmen stands up for him and goes like, you guys are being so rude. I am not with Lorenzo. That relationship was not good for me. I'm with Juan now. We're happy. And don't make me choose between you and Juan because you're not going to like how that turns out. Yeah, I love that moment. And then when Juan returns from the restroom, having composed himself, he opens with an apology and he says, I am so sorry. I was so rude to your parents. And Carmen starts weeping and she goes, no, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. The parents, by the way, left. Yeah, they just got <laughs> mad and, and left, which is what any parents would do. From what I know about parents, the storm out, popular. <laughs> it's popular. Uh, and while he was in the bathroom, he did bump into a big fella. And that big fella was the deathsmith, who for some reason can tell that Carmen is overflowing with death energy, yeah. which is different than necromantic energy. I'm not sure. Like throughout this comic, she does have some kind of, she's also plugged into something that's a little bit supernatural. Yeah, it's hard to say. Um, but this is the first time where that is the reason a villain is targeting Carmen other than her unbelievable bod. Right, right, right. And then, of course, the Deathsmith attacks, and the last two issues are a full-out battle royale. I think the, like, relationship-wise, um, I think it is, this is the first time in a long time when Huen goes like, I'm so sorry, um, I gotta beat the Deathsmith, and I can't concentrate on what I need to do, Carmen, with you here. So you have to go be with your parents mm -hmm. while I do this alone. Yeah, the Battle of Central Park. And I think that that is a situation, like, clearly, they cannot do everything together. They do have two different sets of skills, but I do think that this underscores like that they can't be as close they as close as they once were this is a situation where she is an obstacle to his success not part of the solution mm -hmm. at least in this fight with the deathsmith mm -hmm. and she takes it very well she completely understands but i do think that um this is kind of a widening of that gap and I just wonder how this affects her negative perception that um, Huen has, is now valuing his relationship with the universe and mm -hmm. over his relationship with her. Yeah, it is interesting. Like, I do feel like when James Perham takes over from Bob Layton, his idea of their relationship might be different. Mm -hmm. Uh, than Leighton's. And I think he is trying to drive a more serious wedge between them. There's nothing that occurs in these final comics that like splits them up, but it does feel like that Parham is building or reaching for a big brouhaha between the two with this baby in the middle, probably. Yeah. Um, we also do finally get to meet Lorenzo. Oh, yes. And yes. the drawing of him is like the most <laughs> 90s dreamboat I have ever seen. Yes, yeah, so because. Do you know who he reminds me of? No. Is Greg Sestero. Yeah. From The Room. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. <laughs> Greg Sestero is Lorenzo. Let's make this movie. Let's conclude the second life of Dr. Mirage in live action. I love it. But Lorenzo has bought the house next door to the <laughs> Mirage estate in Miami, and he plans on making moves to win, to win Carmen back. And he's going to blackmail Enrico to do it because apparently Enrico spent three years in jail for manslaughter and somehow his two closest friends in the whole wide world have no idea. Like, who did he manslaughter? Wen's dad? No. No, like, maybe, because like, Wen's like, dad is dead. Well, because, like, you know, you know, okay, <laughs> there are many kinds of manslaughter. Maybe it is truly terrible. Mm -hmm. I like. I just feel like if that's your blackmail, it's got to be more than. Well, it's got to be more than just manslaughter. Am I the worst person? Maybe. I don't. I don't know. I mean, we're not blackmailers, yeah, so and, we don't have any expertise and in that area. We don't know, right? Because that's how the comic book ends. It ends with Lorenzo coming onto the turf. The end. So sorry. No more story. Uh, I I wish that there was more story. Can I just say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like you were truly disappointed. You finished this comic before I did, and you let out a like a big like. Ugh. <laughs> it's frustrating, especially because now I have this relationship with Wen and Carmen. I want to see them succeed. I love them so much, and there's just no more story. Like we've covered a lot of really cool couples over this year, and. You know, after every session that we do, I have a deeper connection to those couples. This one, because it's so limited, does like it does hurt. Like I, I did fall for them more so than I was anticipating, even though it the, the comic is very much rooted and dated by its era. I, I think there is good material here and if you took these characters and you rebooted them with the concept and the dynamic most importantly the dynamic that we have in the first half of this series you would have a really great superhero comic book and i do want to read the modern era Dr. Mirage, even if it doesn't have Carmen in it. Lisa, do you feel the same way? No, I, w I don't want to <laughs> read it. I don't want to read about when if Carmen does not exist, because mm. if when without Carmen to me is a stranger, mm. like I don't know that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Fair, fair, fair enough. Well, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll read it and I'll let you know. Okay, sure. But now as we leave this session, Lisa, we got to talk about what we are taking with us into our own relationship. What have we learned from Wen and Carmen? And what have we learned from our love expert? <laughs> um, from Wen and Carmen, I feel like I am going back to what I said in the last issue, where I think I personally can be better about not trying to compete with my partner and, and not trying to go like, oh, well, because... Brad is good at this thing. I too also have to be good at this thing or like be kind of selfish about like mm. what I do, like where I go like, well, Brad can't do the kind of insightful feelings kind of thing because if he does that better than me, then what am I supposed <laughs> to do? What are my powers? So I, I think that I can be a little less precious with that kind of thing and a little bit more celebratory about the ways that we yeah. work together and not have this kind of insecurity about like, 
not being the favorite or whatever. <laughs> you know, I even bring that into like our social relationships where like I feel like Brad is just so fun and so social <laughs> and so likable that I feel like um my my shine is a little less bright around Brad. I hate to say oh, that's it. That's ridiculous. That's I, ridiculous. Because I feel the same way though. Like But you're you, so proud of me all of yeah. the time. I'm proud of you, but I'm also jealous. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't be jealous. Like my takeaway from this comic is the same thing. I would just phrase it a little differently. It's you know, what you see in the second life of Dr. Mirage is a couple working best when both parties are bringing their expertise into the conflict, right? There are things that Carmen does better than Wen, and there are things that Wen does better than Carmen. And they are both the most successful when they give each other room to do it. And they are complementary. And mm. sometimes we don't recognize the aspects as complementary. Sometimes we see them as like, oh, is this oil and vinegar? No, I mean, you you can make things complementary. You just got to figure it out. And when and Carmen figure it out, and that's what's the most exciting to me about the second life of Dr. Mirage. Now, Mr. Petrovic, I don't know if I'm bringing anything out of his uh, love rituals. I do think there's maybe some good language there, but, you know, I, I tried to be the good defender. I tried to be the devil's advocate going like, oh, there's some common sense here. But I mean, it's so surface level. I don't think there's anything here that I can't find better versions of in superior love experts. Yeah, that's definitely the case. Like the negative perception thing, I feel like also was strongly mentioned in another quack, uh, the five love languages where um, you... Look at your, like, when you start thinking negatively about your partner, you start to find reasons why your partner is not working for you and why, like, you start seeing your partner as something exchangeable mm. for something better. Like, mm. if my partner was more like this, then my life would be more like that right. rather than going like, my partner is like this, so together we make a future that looks like that. Right, Does, right. This, yeah, No, no, that totally makes sense. That absolutely makes sense. I do think that we do need to be reminded about the thesis statements we make in our minds where we go like, or like even in what we were talking about, where I go like, oh man, everybody at this party likes Brad more than me. And then all of a sudden I'm seeing people um, be kind and generous and amused by you. And I begin to dismiss all of the people mm -hmm. who are being kind and loving and generous towards me. Well, look at the relationship that Wen has with Mama Fong and his dead dad, right? You mm -hmm. know, he was creating a story there that was no longer true. Uh, I mean, or it could be true, but it wasn't serving him anymore. Mm -hmm. To mm -hmm. For him, for Wen to continue to think that from the grave, his father is disapproving of him, yeah. like that thought does not feel good. Yeah. That thought does not like serve when in any way. So I think that um, 
Mama Fong by saying, like, I believe that if your dad were still here, he would have grown as a person. Mm, yeah. You know, I think is is a more um, fruitful way to think. is certainly true because that's what happens for all of us over time. Going back to the Scrooge of mm-hmm. it all, Muppets Christmas Carol, right? You know, the Scrooge of the past is not the Scrooge of the present, is not the Scrooge of the future. You are changing. You got to learn to grow with that change. Dr. Mirage, tie that bow. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So it's time to say goodbye to Wen and Carmen and the second life of Dr. Mirage and Valiant Comics for a little while. I had such a good time hanging out with these with these folks. And, you know, I'm open to returning to Valiant Comics, yeah. whether that's the modern era or more issues from the 90s. I had a lot of fun here. Um, I think an extra special thank you should still go out to Mike from yes. Tencent Takes. This couple was his suggestion. We 100% would not have stumbled over this comic on our own. Right, right, right. He encouraged us to go ahead and purchase these comics. And we didn't say this at the beginning of the episode, but these comics are pretty cheap on online. You can buy them off of eBay, uh, no problem, for about 20 bucks. I know that one of our listeners... Um, an OG from the early times who has been with us, Max, has picked up oh, these Dr. Mirage awesome. comics, and they're li- they're reading along with us. And so. they are on Comixology Unlimited. Yes, they are. Uh, so seek them out if uh, you haven't partaken in them yet. Let us know what you thought about this if- issue. Let us know what you thought about this couple. We want to hear from you. And uh, yeah, okay, so 2021... It's coming to an end here at Comic Book Couples Counseling. Uh, Again, we want to reiterate how much we appreciate you for spending time with us, for listening to this episode, to listening to all our other episodes or some of our other episodes. We don't ask that you listen to all of them, but they're all really good. You should go ahead and listen to our back catalog. Uh, And uh, yeah, I just, again, I just want to say thank you to all of you. And Happy New Year. And Happy New Year. And speaking of New Year, next week we are going to do our best of 2021 pew, pew, pew. episode. Normally these episodes come out in December. Didn't happen this year. Uh, it's going to come out in the first week of January. It's because we've got something big planned. Yeah, this one is going to be really special. We're going to have some guests. We're going to have some folks, some podcasters, some journalists uh, contribute their favorite comics. And those little audio clips we're going to sprinkle throughout the entire episode as Lisa and I run down our favorite single issue of the year, our favorite limited series of the year, maybe our favorite writer of the year. We're still coming up with categories. It's all we talk about. It's it's just that like 2021, you know, we said this last year, but 2021 was a great year for comic books. It has been. And narrowing it down to our usual amount of categories just didn't seem not fair. It just didn't seem fun. So we're blowing <laughs> so it many, out. There's so many comics we want to talk about. Yeah. And yeah. we're in charge of what the categories are. Yeah. So you, we're going to talk about everything we want to talk about. If you want a little clue of some titles that may or may not be on that episode, you can head on over to Comics Bookcase, yes. where Lisa contributed to their end of the year list. With the rest of the staff, including and, Zach Quaintance. It's his website. That's right. And you can go over 
to Film School Rejects, where I put together the 15 best comic books of 2021. And I'd appreciate a click on that. Uh, links in the show notes to both of those articles. But that's it's not just going to be a replication on the episode. Because of our category system, we're going to be highlighting other titles. So don't think just because you've read those articles, you know what's coming. Because you don't. Okay, Brad is coming in hot, sounding a little aggressive. Maybe we <laughs> need to work out some of that energy that you have. I'm corporeal. You're corporeal. Why don't we go, why don't we end this podcast and go kill a passionate hour? Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Oh boy. Uh, You can find me on all social medias, blushing at (laughs) mouthdork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at a cool hand fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art, as well as our show posters, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation? to you. I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CBCC Podcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to do an active service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Hep! Hep! Be new year! I was not expecting you to do that, but that's okay. <laughs>